Spring Church, please go ahead and have a seat. And for those of you who are worshiping with us online, welcome and thank you so much for being a part of our service. We have a great hour planned for you. In just a moment, we're going to pick things back up with the band and continue to worship. And then Pastor Mark will take the stage to bring us the next talk in the Jonah series. Today's talk is called The Insider. But first, if you are a first-time visitor here at New Spring, I'd like to speak with you for just a moment. We are so excited that you're here and checking us out, and we would love the chance to get to know you better. So please, fill out the Talk To Us card that you received in your worship guide as you walked in. Just put down whatever information that you're comfortable with sharing, and then slip it in the offering bucket as it passes by. Or, better yet, take it back to guest services, where they'll give you a free gift as our way of saying thank you so much for being here with us. Guest services is located both in the front lobby and back by the coffee shop. Well, we are getting ready to share a video with you, so I'd like you to direct your attention to the video boards. And again, everyone, thank you so much for making New Spring a part of your week. Happy birthday, America. What does your family do on the 4th of July? We get together, cook food together. Sometimes we're in parades. We go swimming with friends, and we have a picnic and watch fireworks. 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 Watch the fireworks show. Shoot off fireworks. We just have lots of fun. Why do we set off fireworks on the 4th of July? It was when our Declaration of Independence was signed. Because John Adams said that's how we celebrate it. Because it's cool. Do you have a favorite firework? Big ones. The Roman candles. The blaze. I like the sparklers. Little box and it shoots like 20 fireworks up at the same time and they all just blow up. I'm kind of afraid of fireworks. What was the Revolutionary War? It was the time that we were fighting Great Britain. It's like when all like did a big huge war. It was like all around. We're trying to gain our freedom. In Boston, what were people throwing overboard from the ships into the sea? Really expensive tea. The tea taxes were very unfair for them. So they decided to feed it to the fish. Why did our founding fathers wear wigs? Because that was the classy thing to do, to look fancy. Because back then they'd lose their hair very quickly and it was slightly embarrassing. Who is your favorite founding father? George Washington. He always seemed like a strong man. He didn't seem like he would ever break. Benjamin Franklin? I kind of want to be like him because he's so smart. What was the document they wrote to create our government? Treaty of Paris. Wait, no, 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 sorry. Um, Constitution. The Constitution. The Constitution. First one was the Articles of Confederation. What's the Stars and Stripes? Our American flag. The stripes are the 13 colonies. The stars represent all the states. What song is our national anthem? Oh, say, can you see? The star... Wait, no. How do I not know this? Star, spar, the uh, Star Spangled Banner? What do soldiers do? They defend us. They fight for us. They protect our freedoms and our beliefs. If they weren't there, we wouldn't have freedom. What does freedom mean? You have freedom of your speech and religion and your actions. If we weren't free, we wouldn't be what we are. Why is America special? We give opportunities that some other countries don't have. Written in the Bill of Rights and all the amendments. How does America help the world? It helps other countries be free. Showing an example for other countries that might want to change. We have a ton of charities that we help people with. Donate our clothes, food packages, send nurses and doctors so we can take care of their wounds, help the poor and give money to them and build houses. What do you think God likes most about our country? How we have freedom and we treat everyone equally. That we're always thinking and we are trying to tell other countries about him and spreading the word. Happy birthday, America. Happy birthday, America. God bless the USA. God bless America.
and we give you thanks in knowing that that your word is truth God that your promises are true God that you never change Lord 
that through all of our trials or difficulties or circumstances or when the enemy is attacking us, God, you are there. You are our Savior. You are our warrior, God. And you conquer the devil. You conquer our enemy. And we thank you that through all of that, whether it's an answer to prayer tomorrow or months or years down the road, God, that you don't delay in your timing, God. Your timing is perfect, and we love you for that. And we thank you, and we praise your son. Bless the word spoken today in this place. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You glad to be here this morning? Yeah. Welcome to New Spring. I appreciate Ryan and Jonathan and the team leading us in worship today. Uh, just a word about the offering. If you were here last weekend, I shared with you a special missions need. Um, Jim Dinsmore, who is a New Springer, along with his wife Shelly, are in Guatemala, and they're doing a tremendous work. of several churches going down there, and it's great. But Jim had a vision for an institute where they could train uh, others in the wilderness there, where they, especially the Ketchi tribe that they work with, the Ketchi Indians. And uh, they just finished their first year with their first class. They have at least 15 new students coming, some with families. And so Jimmy had asked his churches if we could respond with help to finish out the uh, institute facility. And Jimmy had asked for 31000 I think $115. So typical of Jimmy just bare bonesing it. And so I asked you to think about that last week. And you guys gave, and you guys are so generous. Just in last week's offering, in this little additional offering that we're taking, you guys gave $24,000. So we're only 7000 away. Well, let's finish that out this weekend. So if you're giving with an envelope, if you'll just add, if you can spell Kekchi, that's fine. There's several ways of spelling it. If you, can, if you want to put Institute on there, Jimmy, we'll get the money there. So, and, and even if we go past that point, I know we're going to do some extraordinary things uh, in changing the world. And, and the blessing is anytime you give to God's ministry, he gives back to you with a bigger spoon than you use to give to him. So if you will, let's, let's finish that out and uh, send the funds to them so they'll be ready. Uh, for the for the fall session when all these new students come in uh, I'm gonna ask you to uh, take a look at the screens behind me and for a moment uh, some announcements are coming up we have a new series that begins next week and some other things going on at New Spring ushers if you will please come forward and I'll be back in just a moment to bring you a message called the insider so if you have your Bibles you can go ahead and open to Jonah 4 if you have an electronic device with the Bible app you can go ahead and get there we'll be there in just a moment Average. I've spent my life running from that word. I started my life as an average guy with average faults and average capabilities. But I soon learned that this world presents greater than average problems. It wasn't long before those problems pressured me to become someone else, to become Superman. I convinced myself I had to be bulletproof. I had to be bigger than any problem. I had to be superhuman. Frankly, I'm tired of being Superman. Maybe Clark wasn't so bad after all. It's time for reality to meet the real me. It's time to say goodbye to Superman. You can be part of something big when you give to NewSpring, and it's never been easier. If you want to give by using your smartphone, just use your browser to visit newspring.org slash mobilegive. You can also give using your mobile device by downloading the Secure Give app. Just type Secure Give in the search bar of your app store and download it for free. You can always give when you're on campus by using a credit or debit card at one of our kiosks located around the building. If you'd like to give from home, visit newspring.org slash give, where you can set up a one-time gift or an automatic recurring donation.
got to have a little moment of honesty with you before I, I mean, not all my messages are honest, but I mean, this is just sort of Mark, Mark to New Spring moment. Um, my message today is called The Insider, and I guess it's a good thing to be an insider in some situations, but the most absolutely toxic place to be an insider is in a church. And so I will just tell you that, you know, if you look back on the 20th century, we had explosions basically in, in all areas, pretty much of endeavor, travel, intel, information, uh, communication, you just pretty much name any, any in serious endeavor in the 20th century, early 21st century, and there was just almost exponential explosion, except for one area, and that was the Church of Jesus Christ. Because I think we saw the worst, one of the worst centuries in our history in the 20th century, at least in the United States. So I have to ask myself the question, if the only organism about whom was said that the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against it, why did the church do so poorly in the 20th century? Now for me, I've been a pastor for 37 years. I grew up in a pastor's home. Every day of my 57 years, I've lived in a pastor's home. Every time I've walked through my front door, it's been a pastor's home. I grew up with a pastor and I started pastoring at 20. I can tell you the answer real easily. It's, it's not a hard thing at all. It is that a lot of people inside the church had a culture of insiderism and that culture of insiderism basically put up a wall between the people inside the church and the people outside the church. And, and it's so backward, it's so totally, and this is the thing that terrifies me, and if I thought about it very much, I probably couldn't sleep. I'm so terrified that so many people in churches really don't know Jesus Christ. They've gotten some sort of religion that's associated with his name, but they're so far away from what he wanted. You know, Jesus did say there's a broad road that leads to destruction, and there's a narrow road that leads to everlasting life, and that many are on the broad road and few are on the narrow road. But listen to me. Jesus didn't say he wanted it that way. See, I think insiders think he wanted it that way. It's almost like an affirmation when, they, when they're like in a small church and they're not really having any impact on the community. It's like, well, we can look at each other and say, Jesus said there's a broad road and a narrow road, and you know not many people are interested in us. Well, Jesus didn't say that he wanted there to be a broad road and a narrow road with many on the broad road and few. In fact, what was the verb Jesus used when he made that comment? Enter. He was calling for people on the broad road to enter the narrow road, enter the straight gate. So, and then secondly, this is an interesting one. He didn't say that it would forever be that way. He was just simply saying that is the situation that exists right now. But in a culture of insiderism, what happens in the church is that people on the inside feel a sense of superiority to people on the outside. Now, this leads me to this moment of, of just Mark talking to New Spring. We probably don't need this sermon a whole lot. Um, I, from time to time, I bring sermons that I think, well, New Spring would have needed this 10 years ago, but we really don't need it very much today because we have a culture. In fact, that is who we are, and it's in our DNA. We're all about people who aren't here yet. In fact, I've stood at new member sessions, you know, discovery sessions or life at New Spring sessions, and I've said, hey, you want to think long and hard before you become a New Springer because up till now, everything's been about you. But the moment you become a New Springer, nothing is about us because we're, New Springers are about people who aren't here yet. And, and that's our culture. So consequently, when I bring a talk like this, you're going to look at me. When I start talking about Jonah and his insiderism culture, you're going to look at me and say, well, Mark, I don't get that. I don't understand it. I don't even know why Jonah's behaving that way. And I'm glad you don't. I'm glad you don't know that. But I bring it for several reasons. Number one, I'm preaching through a book, and I can't afford, avoid it. It's chapter four. Secondly, there are people all over the world who are part of New Springs ministry. There are churches today that will use our sermon for their sermon. They'll play the DVD, or they'll play a video file, and they'll have the worship service, and they'll show a sermon. I was preaching at one of America's greatest churches, and I had somebody run up to me right before I went on stage and said, hey, I'll watch you every week. And there are thousands watching online, and, and so I realize there are a lot of churches who interface with us. And so for that reason, I think it's important for me to talk about this, this church-killing Christianity uh, affecting spirit of insiderism. And then, finally, I'm, I realize that all kinds of people come into New Spring. We, we have a very, very, very big net. And some of us come from churches, let's be honest, that are dead and dying. And for many of us, it's been, wow, we've really seen the church as it could be. But every once in a while, somebody come from a dead and dying church and bring dead and dying ways. And say, oh, you guys would be great if you just did this. And I'm just grimacing because I'm thinking, what do you think killed the church you came from? That's just honest. And so I have a concern that we don't ever get that way. I don't, because see, here's the thing. The, the problem with being 
an outsider like all of us who comes inside is for a while we will enjoy what it feels like to have a relationship with God. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to feel like it's all about us. And when you know Christ, you realize once you're part of his family, it's not about us anymore. We are about people that Jesus wants to reach. And so for that, I'll just, that's my introduction. And I've just pretty much told you, you probably don't need today's message, but work with me anyway. Uh, because I'm sure if, if you don't need it personally, it'll do two things. Number one, it'll affirm, it'll, it'll affirm the way you look at life and the way you look at following Jesus. And then secondly, who knows, maybe you'll be able to help somebody. Let me say one more thing, and I promise I'll get into the message. Think about Jesus' encounter on the earth. Wasn't his biggest issue with the ultra-elite Pharisees. They were the ultimate insiders. And that's what freaked them out, and that's what eventually what caused them to have issues with Jesus is Jesus opened the net very wide to reach out to all kinds of people, and they didn't like that very much. Okay, I should just get on with the message. All right. Did you ever, you ever meet one of those holier-than-thou people, Bible thumpers? And when I say Bible thumper, I don't mean they love the Bible. A lot of us should love the Bible. But I'm talking about people that basically just use the Bible to beat other people over the head. I don't know what your experience is when you meet one of those people, but I can tell you what mine is. I want to run from them. I don't, I don't want to be around them anymore. They drive me crazy. I also wonder some things about them. I always wonder, do they realize how ridiculous they look? Do they? Because re- to me, I don't think they do. Do they realize how ridiculous they sound? It is like God has chosen them to be the permanent hall monitors, straighten everybody out. And you and I both know they have mega issues with their life. But boy, when they swing that 48-pound Schofield Bible, they will just knock you over with it. And you think, don't you realize what a clown you're looking like? And then here's the part that probably gets to us, is we're realizing, you know what? They really are pushing away people who really might otherwise be open to Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. I want to talk to some of you because there are a lot of us who come to New Spring are still exploring. And maybe you haven't yet come to faith yet, and you're still exploring. Let me ask you a question. Don't you have in your heart a sense that this is not what following Jesus really is? I mean, you have a sense to, to know. I don't know exactly what it means to follow Jesus, but I have a clue they've got it wrong. And so with that in mind, I want to I talk to you about Jonah chapter 4 because Jonah 4 is all about an insider. And what we've discussed is we said that in Jonah's life, he sort of represents the ups and the downs of a God follower. I have a good friend here who's a surgeon, and he texts me every once in a while. And last week at the end of the service, he texted me, uh, about the message, and he called it Yo-Yo Joe, and I thought, oh, I wish I'd thought of that. That would have been a great title for this series. And he is Yo-Yo Joe. I mean, Jonah's up one week, and he's down the next. But I also think that not only does he have these ups and downs that are kind of serial in his life, but Jonah's four stages in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4, Jonah's four stages kind of mirrors what happens in a lot of God followers' life. Because in chapter 1, he's the smug rebel. That's pretty much how most of us start. He is the smug rebel. In chapter 2, he is the repentant sinner. He is begging God for forgiveness. In chapter 3, he gets into the slipstream. We talked about it last week. His life is synced up with God, and awesome things happen. But in chapter 4 is where the problem is. And this is what can happen in the life of a God follower. And God forbid that it could happen in your life and my life. After a while, Jonah felt like such an insider with God. He kind of lost track of who was God and who was Jonah. And see, he, he didn't realize that the great and marvelous things that were happening in his life was still the mercy of God. After a while, Jonah was such an insider that he felt comfortable enough to start formulating positions for God. And that's what we will see. So, here's the thing. Uh, There isn't a whole lot of difference between stage one and stage four. There's not a lot of difference between the smug rebel and the obnoxious Christian. So, here we go. Let's go into Jonah chapter four. But before we do, let's just get a little history and back up, if you will, please, into Jonah chapter three. And we'll look at what Jonah's, we'll see what Jonah's upset about. Okay? Jonah chapter three, verse four. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believe God's message. That's what happened. That was chapter 3. And then God's response in verse 10. When God saw what they had done, the Ninevites, how they put a stop to the evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he threatened. Now listen, please, work with me for a moment. Jonah has just experienced the greatest response any preacher in history had ever experienced. 
Jonah had been called to go to Nineveh. I've, I've, I don't need to tell you this again. Nineveh is the wickedest city in the world. It's 500 miles west. It's near modern Mosul. And he went, I mean, this city was, they invented all kinds of ways to torture people. They were known for their brutality and for their weird, kinky, extraordinarily bizarre sex practices. And so God tells Jonah, I want you to go to this city because I'm going to destroy them. And I want you to preach this message. And Jonah goes and preaches. And amazingly, a million people from the king all the way down, they say, wow, we really are wrong. And we really are offending God. And we saw last week, they just said, we're going to stop what we're doing. And we're going to seek God. And we're going to ask him if maybe he just might have mercy and forgive us. Well, that's amazing. No preacher in history had ever had that happen. I mean, Jonah goes in. As a lone, scared God follower goes to Nineveh, tells them how much, I mean, here's, here's, the, here's, here's what this would be tantamount to. Imagine that you were asked to go to Tehran today and walk in and just by yourself, no State Department pass, nothing. Just walk into, walk into Tehran and start shouting in the streets, you people have it all wrong and you need to get right. And instead of being put into prison and being tortured, the people of Tehran said, you know what? Maybe we need to think about that and the things that we've been doing. And they humble themselves. Maybe God says, go to North Korea. And Kim Jong, whatever his name is. And God says, go to North Korea and tell the, tell the prime minister or whatever his position is and tell all the people in North Korea that they've got it wrong. And, and the whole people from, from, the, from the leader on just say, well, we need to get right. Now, here's the weird thing. I, I know what you would do, all you new springers. Man, if God had called you to go there and you had that kind of response, I know what you'd do. You'd start a kid's world. <laughs> you would. So, man, this is great. Let's have a kid's world here. And, and you'd be sending back for a sermon series. And, and somebody, I know somebody's going to text me and say, Mark, have you ever thought about a new spring Tehran? That's what you would do. And honestly, that's what we expect from Jonah. I mean, he's just had this incredible moment where a million people who don't know anything about God, we saw last week, they knew so little about God, they were doing kind of cute things that were strange. They, they said, we're not only going to put burlap on, we're going to put burlap on our cows. Nobody's ever done that in history. They're just trying to get right with God. They don't know anything. Now listen, if you're Jonah, what are you doing? I mean, if you're a new springer, you're helping those people. You're, you're like saying, well, well, let me show you some other things that God has to say. I mean, you're like beginning to work with kids and you're beginning to work with teens and, and you're beginning to think about how you can strategically, how you can strategically help these people deepen their relationship with God. And that's what we expect out of Jonah in Jonah chapter four. And yet, it's like Belushi used to say on Saturday Night Live, but no. Chapter 4, verse 1. This change of plans, God changing his mind, greatly upset Jonah. And he became very angry. Well, who's he angry at? Is he angry at the well? Is he angry at the Ninevites? No. See, here's the thing. When you get to be the ultimate insider and you know a lot about God, you can actually tell God what to do. And that's what Jonah was doing. Jonah, Jonah's mad at God. You know, here's the thing, and guys, I'm going to go to us. I'm going to go to a sensitive place, and I know some of you are going to send me emails I'll never see. <laughs> Self-righteous people are angry at grace. Self-righteous people are angry at grace. Grace freaks them out. See, in Jonah's mind, these people deserve to be destroyed. I mean, when he finally said, I'm going to go in there, they're going to kill me, but God is going to nuke these people, and at least I'll go. It's kind of like Samson, you know, pulling down the pillars, and they all die, and Samson dies, but Samson says, wow, at least I wiped out the Philistines. Jonah's going to go into Nineveh. He's going to preach his message. God's going to kill all those Ninevites. They deserve it anyway, and that's what Jonah's going to do, and he goes in. You know what? Instead of that, God forgives them. Well, they don't know anything about what Jonah knows. They never went to Sunday school. They didn't grew up in Bible study and went to youth group. They never memorized scripture and all these things that are good. And Jonah's thinking, you know what? I bet they're not even, I don't even bet they're serious. You know what? They're just scared. And, and you know what? After they get through with being scared, they're going to go right back to being Ninevites. And to an extent, over the next century, that kind of happened. But to this group, God offered grace. And people who are self-righteous, they just don't like that. 
They don't like grace. But you know what? Grace is true. In fact, I'm just going to read a couple of scriptures from the Bible that talk about the grace of God in Titus chapter 3, verse 4. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, in other words, when God is getting ready to show his kindness and love to the world, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about that. If any of us ever have a relationship with God, it'll be zero what we have done. It won't have anything to do with what we've done. When God gets ready to show his kindness, what does he do? He gives us what we don't deserve. In fact, let me take you to a verse that if you don't like grace, you're going to have all kinds of issues with. In Romans chapter 4, verse 5, the Bible says, To the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Now you saw what I just, I hope, I hope it's in red up in the notes, it's in red on my notes. God justifies the wicked. Oh, I hear somebody bristle at that. God justifies the wicked. Now, he justifies people like me, who are pretty good people, who try really hard. No, it says God justifies the wicked. You know why? Because if you and I would get off our high horse, we would realize that the only kind of people in the world are wicked people. When we know, I mean, here's the deal. You know everything about you. I know everything about me. And I've always, I've joked, I've said this so many times, you're probably tired of hearing me say this, but if you knew everything about the person sitting next to you, you would get up and leave right now. You would move. I'm serious. If you knew everything about the person next to you, you would not sit with them. If they knew everything about you, they would get up and move. The Bible says God justifies the wicked. See, the thing about it is, there is this human sense that we have in the back of our minds, God rewards good and he punishes evil. That's technically true in the world, but here is the problem. None of us can be good enough for God's acceptance. See, there's that. There's the problem with insiderism. There is at the core of this concept that maybe I can get a little better, a little better, a little better. Maybe I won't be all that great, but I'll get to the point where God will accept me. And yet the Bible says the only way to have the acceptance of God is to come before God as a wicked sinner. And at that moment, God justifies the ungodly. If you feel that grace is scandalous, it will be at that very point. The Bible doesn't say God acquits the ungodly. It says he justifies Justify means to make right. And here's the basis. Because here's the thing. Every time God does something, it has to be a basis. The basis of that is that when Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, all your sins were placed on him. And his righteousness is clicked and dragged and placed on you. So that when God looks at you, he sees only the righteousness of Christ. And it is on that basis that God justifies the ungodly. And I know these are the kinds of verses that make some of the people I've run into through the years start saying, but, 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 but you got to do this and you got to do that. But I don't know, just personally, from my, from my standpoint, I love grace. Is there anybody else here who loves grace? And I love the grace of God. Well, why don't, why don't these insiders love the grace of God? Well, I think there are like three or four reasons. The first reason is they see the world, as, they see the world in terms of insiders and outsiders. And, and quietly, number two, maybe even imperceptibly to them, they begin to re build a resume, an internal resume of, I've done this, I've been to this class, I've been to this class, I've been to this study, I listen to Mark preach, I'm a member of New Spring, I've been baptized. All those things are fine. But they sort of build this internal resume of achievements. And then number three, that resume becomes a sort of affirmation. Now, they'll talk grace as much as I'm talking grace, but really when it gets right down to it, their affirmation of their relationship with God is tied up to their spiritual resume. And then, of course, when they meet outsiders who behave like outsiders, number four, it confirms their ultimate premise that the world is made up of insiders and outsiders. I spend a lot of my time today helping pastors of churches around the country. New Spring, as you know, went through a serious transition 10 years ago, and we paid a frightful price to get to where we are, a church that people on the inside are about people on the outside. You know, it's interesting. I'm so sorry. I don't mean to get off on a tangent. I've spoken at a major seminary that trains pastors. I've spoken at a national conference of church, international conference of, of church leaders in the last few months. You know what the number one retweeted comment of my message has been? People on the inside need to be about people on the outside. Young leaders have retweeted that all the time. And that's really what, I mean, for us, you think, well, duh. And yet that, that's been the most surprising line delivered to church leaders. 
But I was a, a church, and I don't want to speak too much because it could be that someone will be watching. But there, this was a, a church that at once had a huge history, and they brought in a new leader after they had declined severely. And this new leader came in with a heart and a passion to reach out. And, of course, the church is in a declining area, and the pastor's wife became deeply burdened because of the prostitutes in the area. And she began to think, what can we do to reach out to them and to show them the love of Christ? And one by one, they began to come into the church. And you know, he was telling me a couple years ago about, about a, a prostitute who came in and, and just the grace of God overwhelmed her. And she came forward and just lay on the altar and cried. Man, I'm thinking, this is awesome. And yet, you know, little by little, they're and the complaints are never about that. The complaints are about other things. But really, when it gets right down to it, if you got a church of insiders, they don't really want anybody in who's not an insider, who doesn't look like them, walk like them, talk like them, carry the Bible like them. You, you know the drill. Strange thing about insiders, they do what Jonah did. In Jonah 4, verse 2, so he complained. So he complained, and he didn't have a pastor to complain to, so he, he complained to the Lord. He complained to the Lord about it. And look at, look at what he said. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew, look at how Jonah's ripping God here. I knew that you're a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Man, that's not even coherent. Am I wrong or is Jonah attempting to straighten God out? And I'll tell you something else about self-righteous people. They don't mind being fast and loose with the truth. You just watch me on that one and see if I'm not right. Jonah said, didn't I tell you that I didn't want to go to Nineveh because you're, you're too good to people? No, he didn't say any of those things. He ran off to Tarshish with his tail between his legs because he was scared to go to Nineveh. But now he's sort of reinventing history. And Jonah's saying, didn't I tell you I didn't want to go? And effectively, here's the thing. Work with me for a moment. What Jonah is saying to God is, my standard of righteousness is higher than your standard of righteousness. Jonah's basically saying, God, I'm embarrassed by you. I came down here to tell these wretches that you were going to destroy them, and now you're extending grace to them. I don't get it. By the way, if this is starting to sound like a New Testament story, there's a reason for that. Remember the story of the prodigal son? You know, the, the prodigal, you know, he was a younger brother, and, and he, he's, you know, he's rebellious. He went to his dad, and he said, I don't want to wait till you die. I want you to give me the money now. And so the father divided his inheritance with the older brother, who would have gotten two-thirds of the estate, and the younger brother would have gotten one-third. And we talked about him the other day. The younger brother cashed in all his, all his resources, went to a, a long way away, place a long way from home, and squandered his money on, on drugs and parties and and women and, you know, prostitutes and, and his according to his brother. And he just, uh, he made a mess of things, lost everything, wound up feeding hogs with no money in his pocket, got thinking about his dad and decided, we talked about this last week, he, he, he decided he would go home and just ask his dad for a job. And when the father saw him coming, the father was so excited that he, he you know, he embraced him. And you know the story. He, they, the scholars say it's the greatest short story in history. He put a robe on him, and they put a family ring on him and shoes on him, and, and they threw a big party. And the older brother had been out in the field, and he heard all the party going on. And he asked somebody, he said, what's the party? And that's where I want to pick it up here. This is in Luke 15, 27. Somebody told him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. Sound familiar? Sounds like Jonah, doesn't it? The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Hang on to that. That'll sound familiar too. So his father went out and pleaded with him. And he answered his father, look. Or his, answer, his father answered, look. Oh, excuse me, my mistake. He talked to his father first. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You think that's true? I don't think so. Any of you have a perfect kid? <laughs> yeah. Like I said, these self-righteous people, they don't mind lying. I have, I've never figured that out. They don't. And he, he just said, I've never disobeyed you. And you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. First of all, I doubt he had that many friends. <laughs> a young goat would have overfed the entire crowd of his friends. I imagine if he sat down at a table with all of his friends, there'd be one guy's table. But you know what? What a lie the father had already given him. We see that Jesus said the father had given him two-thirds of his estate. Anyway, 
And he said, you know, you, you haven't done anything for me. This son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes come home and you killed a fatted calf for him. In effect, the older brother is saying to the father the same thing Jonah said to God. Listen, you're too good to outsiders and you're not good enough to all of us insiders. This is risky. But in case any of us walked in with a little of that insiderism in us, I'm going to talk to us. But I don't want to talk to you the way I want to talk to you. Because it makes me mad. I guess I've just been a pastor too long, and I've watched these people stand in the way of other people coming to Christ, and I just get furious. So I don't want to talk to you the way I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you God's way. Because God is so patient with all of us. And he's even patient with self-righteous types. Because look at how the father talks. We saw this. The father said, my son, he's talking to the older brother who's just ripped him for, for not being fair. You're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Isn't that, and see that father represents God. Isn't that great the way God talks to us even when we get full of ourselves? Now let's go back to Jonah. What did Jonah just talk to God? He's told God, I'm angry at you. You're not fair. I told you I didn't want to come here. I told you you were going to screw this up, and you screwed it up, and I'm more righteous than you are. Listen, let me ask you a question. Those of you in management, if you had a staff person talk to you that way, what would you do? I want to tell you, that would be a brown spot on the ground. <laughs> That's fine. And on top of that, he's talking to God. I mean, you know what? If one of our staff members talked to us that way, we're flawed. But I mean, you think about God. God is God. I mean, he is the God of creation. And he's got this blowhard prophet that he's gotten through so many scrapes. And this prophet is looking at God saying, I'm more righteous than you are. If I'm God, I'm nuking him. Right there. And yet, look at what the Lord says. This is the only thing God says to Jonah. Is it right for you to be angry? Parents, you know exactly what God is doing right here. God is calling Jonah to self-correct. God just asked Jonah, Jonah, are you right to be this angry? I'm just blown away by how gentle God is with us. I mean, Jonah's being a jerk right now. But God doesn't say, Jonah, you're being a jerk. He just says, Jonah, think this through. Is it right for you to be this angry? Well, it was unreasonable for Jonah. You know that inflection makes a lot of difference, right? The word you emphasize. Hey, I'd give 50 cents to know which word God emphasized with that question. Because I think if we knew, I think maybe we could zero in on the unreasonableness that Jonah had. But let's just put it in three different possible places. And, and, and it will help us understand the unreasonable nature of an insider who thinks that God is wrong to be so good to people who don't know him. And who haven't lived the kind of life they feel they've lived. Maybe God was saying to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this? That's where I'd have put it. I mean, after all, you of old people, I mean, you know, look, if you look at how Jonah talked to God in Jonah chapter 2 when he was in the whale's belly for three days, if you look at how he talked to God then and how he talked to God in Jonah chapter 4, it's very different. Isn't it interesting that when, when, when we're in trouble, we talk to God very differently than when we talk to him and we're mad at him for not, him not doing what we want us to do what we want him to do. I mean, look, look at how Jonah talked to God in Jonah chapter 2. He said, But you, O Lord my God, snatch me from the jaws of death as my life was slipping away. I remembered the Lord, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for salvation comes from the Lord. That's how we talk when we're in trouble, isn't it? Oh, but when God doesn't do what we want him to do, totally different matter. So it could be that God is saying to Jonah, Hey, Jonah, you of all people, you know, you, you were going to go into the water and drown, and I sent a whale over to get you and kept you there for three days, and you prayed, and you asked me to get you out, and I had the whale drop you off in Joppa, and then after you went into Nineveh, I helped you preach, and all those wonderful things happened, and now you're giving me trouble. Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? And could I just ask you a question in case anybody here today is a little self-righteous and you're a little off-put by this message of grace, and you're the one who starts saying, bu, 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 when, when I tell anybody that if they'll put faith and trust in Christ, they can be saved. Could I ask you a question? Do you remember what it was like to be without God? Do you remember what it was like not to have any hope in this world? Do you remember what it was like when God did the miraculous act of salvation and brought you 
from what you didn't deserve into a family of grace. Do you remember what it was like? How dare you and I get angry at God that he is kind to others whose lives are not the way our lives have been lived. Yeah. Now, it could have been that God asked the question this way. It could have been God said, is it right for you to be angry about this? I mean, God could have been saying, Jonah, is anger the appropriate emotion here? Now I want to do something I probably should have done at the beginning. I want to read the rest of the chapter because I want to, here's the thing. Jonah, Jonah takes a while to get right. And I just want to kind of read this to you. Okay, here we go. This is going to take a little bit. Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under. And he waited to see what would happen to the city. This is really interesting. There's so much here that I would love to talk about and I've got two minutes. Jonah is mad at God. He thinks God should destroy Nineveh the way he said he was going to. God has already determined not to do it. But Jonah is saying, I'm going to go out and sit in the heat outside the city and wait for something to happen that he knows isn't going to happen. It's just Jonah's way of saying, God, I am more righteous than you are. You're not doing what you should do, but I'm going to go do what I should do. I'm just going to sit out here in the heat and wait for what should happen that isn't going to happen. The self-righteous people are weird, aren't they? So that's what you have. And the Lord, God is so good. The Lord God arranged the leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged a worm. Have you ever, have you ever had God arrange a worm in your life? It's like you're comfortable, and it's like I'm running from God, but I'm gonna, this is going to be fine. And then God just arranges a worm to eat your comfort away. I just would love to have heard the conversation between God and the worm. We'll, we get to have that bitch. But God arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant and it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living, this, living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, and look at this one more time. God said, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Just shoot me. Just kill me. And the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly. Now listen, guys, if I was starting a church, I think this would be my first text, verse 11. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. That's not a good translation. The Hebrew there means 120,000 toddlers under the age of two. 120,000 babies. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 babies living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. And I love this line. I love this line. It's everything that I'm about as a pastor and that I believe you're about as a new springer. The Lord said, shouldn't I feel sorry? such a great city God feels compassion for people who are not like him God likes people who are not like him God said to Jonah shouldn't I feel sorry see grace is God's plan grace God's plan is to reach out to undeserving people and to give us blessings we don't deserve and to escape infinite punishment that we do deserve and so God is saying to Jonah, why would you be angry about me doing what I do? Could I say that one more time? God is asking Jonah, why would you be angry at me for doing what I do? And I've, I'm in overtime, and I'll try to get finished with this real fast. It could be that God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this? What do I mean by that? God forgiving Nineveh. Because that's, that's the question God's asking. Is it right for you to be angry about this? Now listen, I, I, know, I know how life works. Some, somebody here is saying, oh, it's not as simple as that, Mark. Yeah, God says grace, it's a gift, but you gotta do X, Y, and Z. And then you have, to, you have to like stop doing all these things that are wrong. Could I plead with you? Could I plead with you for a moment of unfiltered honesty? If you have to stop doing all the things that are wrong in your life for you to have a relationship with God, be honest with me. Do you have any chance? 
if you have to live a particular life of goodness before God, do you have any chance? I know the answer to those questions. Some of you who've been God followers for years, you still have sin patterns in your life you can't break. And some of you who love God very much, you still struggle to do the right things. Here's what I plead with you. If it's not grace, how can it be anything? It is the grace of God. It is God giving undeserving sinners what we don't deserve and holding back from us what we do deserve because we come as broken people and by faith we look by faith into the dying son of God and the blood coming down out of his veins and we say I put my hope in what he has done for me not in what I do for him and by the grace of God I want to live for him that ladies and gentlemen is a Christian life And I'm so in overtime, I don't want to go to staff meeting this week, but I want to just do something. <laughs> if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that right now with me. To just simply by faith come to him as a broken sinner and say, I can't, I, I can't make myself right. But God is offering grace to you just like he offered to the Ninevites. And it'll freak out the self-righteous, but don't worry about them. Just don't let them ever, don't, don't let hypocrites keep you from coming to Jesus. Don't let self-righteous people keep you from coming. Just come and find the love and grace of God. A lot, a lot of people have stolen Jesus' identity. Come and find him as he really is. He loves you. He died for you. Would you pray with me? Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me unconditionally. I believe Jesus died for me. I ask you to forgive me and make me God's child. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, just take the talk to us, car back to guest services in the lobby, little one back by the coffee shop. See, I prayed with Mark. I have a gift packet for you with a DVD, a book I wrote, and a coupon for a new Bible. Thanks for being here. God bless. Have a wonderful night.